Wise, Pediatric Speech-Language Pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk's podcast. You've probably done this already, but if you haven't, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. It really helps. All right, straight to today's topic. Now, my working title for this information is A Crash Course in Toddler Articulation. <laughs> now, the formal title, well, so far, is Teaching a Developmentally Appropriate Consonants to Toddlers. Now, I have wanted to teach this content in this way for a long time, but I wasn't sure that it was quite right for the podcast, but today I'm moving forward with it, and I'm so excited to share that with you. This is my caveat. If you are listening to this show uh, in your podcast app, this might be one that you want to go back and watch on YouTube, because I'm going to do lots of demos and show you all my favorite toys to elicit these sounds and talk specifically about why these activities work. So again, it may be a little difficult for you on the podcast app to get everything, so go back and check it out on YouTube. All right, let me also remind you that this is a continuing education course for therapists, and you can get one hour credit for only $5. You can get details about that in uh, the YouTube description, the post below. All right, so, and to get detailed versions of this information, let me suggest that you go ahead and purchase that CE credit because you'll get a handout. Now, today we are so packed with information for this show that the handout is six pages. So, I wanted to kind of give you a heads up about that too because this is not going to be your typical show where we stay with just a few little topics. We are going to cover massive amounts of information today. So buckle up and let's get going. All right, so this information is from my book, Functional Phonology, my treatment manual about uh, treating arctic and toddlers. And I love the book because it has helped me after I've written it to be just as focused and as intentional as I can be when we have a child who is developmentally ready to work on articulation. And here's why. Instead of just kind of thinking about, oh, we're going to work on this sound that we hear that's an error or on that sound that we hear that the child perhaps is struggling with, we're going to be super, super sequential about this. Now, I have outlined this whole procedure in a series of podcasts, uh, shows number 373 to 380. So that show has lots of the details. Lots, uh, lots of the details are in that show. So if you you, uh, again, are hearing something here that you'd like some more information about, I wanted to be sure that you get all the resources for that so that you'll know where to go. So today we're going to just review the following sounds. So if you are a parent, these are the sounds that are developmentally appropriate for a child by the time he reaches three. So in that uh, early intervention birth to three period, which is what I specialize in. That's my niche as a speech language pathologist. So we're going to mostly be looking at the sounds that emerge first in development. So again, during those first three years, although a couple of these sounds will probably edge toward the end and even beyond that developmental period. So let's start with our lip sounds. And we're going to classify all of these by where they are made in the mouth. So these are classified by placement. Now again, as an SLP, you might be thinking, Thinking, this is way too simplified for me, this information. The reason that I'm presenting this and the way that I'm doing it now is super intentional because this is how we should share it with parents and with other therapists working on our teams. And even though in a continuing education course presented by an SLP, you're going to hear terms like uh, alveolar sounds and your bilabials and your pharyngeal consonants, always keep in mind that we should keep our terminology uh, 
global so that anyone hearing us can uh, utilize this information and not just check out because we're being a little bit too professional for our own goods there our own good there so let's just talk about these sounds and then talk about the way that you would explain them to parents so what I generally say is that sounds develop from the front of the mouth to the back of the mouth does that always hold true for every child absolutely not thank God that we are all made in his image but still have our own individual quirks so sometimes we're gonna get kids who are missing this whole class of sounds made at the front at the front of the mouth but at the same time this is the information that we give parents and so we say you know our lips sounds are our sounds that are made with both our lips so we call those bilabial so those are P B M and then we'll talk about W because that's another early developing consonant sound although not not a bilabial but again it's a lip sound so we're talking with parents so we want to be sure that we get talk about that now there are other consonants F V other consonants that are made at the front of the mouth but these are the most uh, these are the earliest to emerge and the most developmentally appropriate to target first when we have a toddler with highly unintelligible speech. So that's the first sound class. The next class would be our alveolars. So sounds that are made in the middle of your mouth. So T, D, and N there. We're going to go ahead and put the nasals in because those sounds, again, are among the first consonant sounds to develop. And then our pharyngeal sounds, our sounds made in the back of our mouth or our throat. And that would be K and G. And we're also going to include H or H because again that's a developmentally appropriate consonant sound for a child to have mastered by the time he's 36 months old. All right so you may be thinking Laura some of our sound uh, research our speech sound development research has been altered in the last couple of years there's some new studies about it our daughter who's an SLP who now has her C's tells me about that in the different ranges there and how some sounds have gone down and where they are thought to be acquired uh, developmentally but I'm just gonna stick to this tried and true because regardless of the source that you're looking at these sounds will always be included so when we think about these sounds and when we plan to treat these sounds you're gonna really be covering your bases as far as working with toddlers with speech intelligibility challenges okay so let's talk about another really important bit of important prerequisite information that I want you to know as a therapist and to be passing this along to parents when a child is nonverbal and not talking at all or if they're just minimally verbal say have less than 25 words or so these strategies are not going to be effective and why would that be that would be because you're jumping the gun you're using them well before a child is developmentally ready to work on articulation and so if you were wondering gosh how do I know do I just use my own judgment let me just say a child's behavior will always let you know whether you have pushed it too far and whether your expectations are beyond reasonable for that child. And so if you start to see behavioral disruptions in that he becomes aggressive or she becomes withdrawn or there's just a lot more just yucky behavior that you have to deal with, they try to to destroy toys or property or you can just see signs of frustration all over them. That's when you know this child is not developmentally ready to work on articulation yet. Another time would be when you see a stall in a child's communication development overall. So let's say that you are working with a two and a half year old and he is highly unintelligible and you've gotten his language going and he maybe has right at that say 50 word mark and you think before I move to phrases let me clean up this artic. 
do not do that. And how do I know? Because I have tried and failed. And we have to really keep in mind that language always trumps speech. Language in, in uh, we're talking about the vocabulary that a child uses, the words that he understands, how he communicates his messages to you or his pragmatic, pragmatic skills. Those kinds of things are always more important. What he says is always more important than how a very young child will say it. And so intelligibility should always take a back seat. But let's say that you have tried, you, you've gotten a kid, he's got about 50 words, and you think, I'm just going to start some light or tick. Again, sometimes we do this and it really stalls the kid. They just, you don't see them adding as many words. You see them becoming more frustrated when they're trying to communicate. It feels almost as if they are holding back, although sometimes, you know, that might look like a temperament issue. You know, they're more, uh, again, more shy, that kind of thing. So think about that. When you start to see some behavioral things that you haven't seen before with a toddler, ask yourself, am I pushing too hard on goals that are just beyond where we should be working right now? And lots of times that's articulation. Now that's not to say that we as SLPs and other early intervention professionals and parents don't cue a child when he misarticulates or when he substitutes one sound for another. We certainly are going to do that. But what I'm talking about today are things where we purposefully and intentionally try to change or alter alter the way that a child produces a word. And so when we do that, that really crosses more over into therapy. Otherwise, it's just facilitative in that we are helping a child by modeling this word that he's uh, incorrectly produced, the, the word that he, maybe he said, uh, if for milk, or maybe he has he says ah ah for mama. So maybe you're going oh yes mama yes mama, and you're really punching that vowel or that consonant and really elongating it when you can, doing everything you can to emphasize it. That is perfectly fine, and yes, by all means, we're going to do that. I'm talking about these really pickier strategies and these things that are, are really designed to help a child get correct placement and to help a child hear some differences in how he's producing the word versus how the word should be and how we eventually are going to try to get him to produce the sound and the word correctly. So that's when we cross over to really targeting or treating articulation. So we want to be really, really careful that we don't, again, move ahead too quickly. Now, I have written in Functional Phonology seven factors that we consider before a child is really, really ready to developmentally work on articulation. And I am not going to talk about these except to just review them. They are on your handout. And we'll talk about just the most simple reason that we should consider this and that a child may not be ready to participate in formal articulation therapy uh, if, if these kinds of things aren't in line. And again, you can check this out uh, on your handout that you can get from the link there below. So the first one is age. So generally a child should be 30 to 36 months old before we start to really change or pay lots of attention in therapy to changing how he says the word. And again, why is is that it's just because that little maturation level and we don't want you know we don't want to have unrealistic expectations for a child so I've told this story before but I'm gonna say it again because I think it's such a good example 
I went to school in uh, my bachelor's degree in the 80s and I got my master's in the early 90s. And so we would have laughed and laughed and laughed in grad school if someone had said that we were going to work on toddler articulation because we would have just said, don't waste your time, don't waste the kid's time, just work on language and artic will come or we'll target that later. And that is still how I really, really feel about it, although we have backed that down to about two and a half. And so again, it, age is a big, big factor. So certainly before a child turns two and a half or three, there are things we can do to facilitate a correct production of a consonant sound but in my philosophical opinion backed up by years of experience I would never want this to be a child's primary focus in therapy until he's at least at that 30 to 36 month age range the next one is language skills and we've talked about this a little bit but I'll say it again toddlers need to understand and use a variety of words correctly before we're start going to start to be so picky about their articulation language is always more important what a child says is always more important than how a child says the word and i've said that a couple of times already and I, those are little sound bites that i hope you'll hang on to and that you will use and that you will insert into your own talks with parents because those are things that we really really need for parents to understand we in toddlers in early intervention our focus this needs to be vocabulary, semantics, and certainly pragmatics, how a child uses words, rather than an overly uh, intense analyzation of a child's articulation system or his intelligibility. All right, the third factor is a practical one. It's social engagement. So until we get a child socially engaged, he is not really ready to do this. And why? Because if he is on the other side of the room, do you think he really cares what we're doing when we're saying, hey, watch me, look at my mouth, say what I say? No way. He's disengaged from you. So we have to have a child who's connected, who's interacting, who has good joint attention, who has good eye contact. All those really, really important pre-linguistic social skills need to be in place. Otherwise, we're going to be working at a level that's just too challenging for that child. And there, again, another reason I'm telling you this is if you're a parent and you're listening to this show and you're thinking, oh great, she's going to tell me how to get my kid to make more sounds. Oh great, he's not talking. I'm just going to teach him how to talk with these strategies. That's not how we do it. We really focus on the language piece first. And I have a whole channel of other shows that you can watch that will give you better advice. This we're going to say for kids who are already, uh, like we said, using uh, whatever's appropriate for their language skills. So using phrases, using short sentences, kids who are socially engaged. And then the next factor is adequate attention span. So that's important because kids have to be able to focus on what we are asking them to do and to do it for longer periods of time. And just like we talked about with the social engagement piece, if a child is really busy and is constantly moving away from you, chances are he's not staying to play with you. And if he's not staying with you to play with a toy and to share an activity together and staying for a long enough time, three to six minutes is what uh, the EBP guideline is on that, there's no way he's gonna, again, be able to focus right here and to change how his little mouth produces the word and the sound that he's producing. So you've got to have that adequate attention span. The next skill is super important too. It's how easily and quickly will a child imitate. Now why is that important? If you don't have imitation skills firmly established before beginning to target speech intelligibility with a toddler, you're going to be so inefficient. It should just happen pretty quickly that you say to a child, what's this or you know what, whatever your cue is whatever or you know tell me which what you want to play with if he's not just popping out the words spontaneously he has to at least 
And, and after we've reviewed the language guideline, he, surely he would be. But even beyond that, imitative ability is so important because you've got to be able to say things and cue a child with, you know, say this, use your popper sound. And if he can't immediately try, even if he gets it wrong, you're just going to be wasting a lot of time. And so again, save these strategies until a child is really, really imitating pretty well, pretty easily and pretty quickly so that you don't waste a lot of time, yours or the child's and families. Uh, the sixth indicator is play skills. Now, what in the world would having a child be able to play with a variety of toys have to do with if you're going to work on speech sounds? Well, everything, <laughs> because play is driven by a kid's uh, cognitive foundation. So what he understands, what he thinks about, what he remembers, what he can plan to do. And again, attention is a big part of that. So when you have a kid that is, <clears throat> pardon me, so busy that he's never, he, he just is so uh, engaged in his gross motor play that he doesn't play with a lot of toys. Or maybe his sensory system is so dysregulated or the things that he obsesses about or his own little individual fascinations or quirks. Maybe he's so into all that that he doesn't have uh, very many other uh, things to do. So he doesn't play with very many other toys. And again, lots of times parents think that's a choice rather than there's a real skill deficit there. I like to see kids have a uh, just a large repertoire of play interest and play skills before I would ever start on our tick. Even if their language is pretty good, if they are still so focused and so driven by their own interest that they aren't really, really looking uh, like, like they're as close as possible to their typically developing peers as far as play is concerned, I'm going to hold off on our tick and do still work on the, the play and still work on those building that underlying cognition. Even if I have to match that with quirky interest just to build a child's play skills. Learning how to play with peers is so important as uh, children get older and move into preschool and move into kindergarten and lots of times toys are what they share to do that and so when we have a child who's not very interested or who doesn't really understand how toys work that's a real uh, a real sign that something's not going right developmentally so we want to work on that and the last one is impact on daily life so before I work on articulation with toddlers he has to not be meeting the milestones for speech intelligibility. And so if you look on your handout, you'll see what those are. By 18 months, a typically developing child's speech is normally 25% intelligible. So his parents understand about a quarter of the words that he says. By 24 months, it's 50 to 75% intelligible. So by that second birthday, parents should understand a little more than half or half of what a child says. And by three, a child is normally 75 to 100% intelligible. And so again, if you have a child that falls within these guidelines and is still making errors, I'm not going to worry about that until after uh, they're three. And lots of times I think about three as a developmental age rather than a chronological age. And so I know if I have a three-year-old who's still struggling to combine words, he's really back there at that 24-month le old level. And so I'm going to want his speech intelligibility to match that. So again, think about that and decide what your own philosophy is about that <laughs> so that you can adequately communicate that to parents. And I'm always erring on the side of, we're not going to work on it yet. We have other things to work on if it really shouldn't be a factor or if another child would, who's typically developing would also be 
around that level. And so again, I just think our therapy time is so precious and we shouldn't waste it when uh, we have other things that we can work on. So I wanted to share that with you. All right, so let's move on now and talk about, um, let, let me just say this about vowels. We're mostly just going to focus on consonants today, but vowels are even more important for intelligibility, and I've done a whole show on that. It's show number 379. So if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, you know, she's really talking about some sounds today, and my child really only says a few sounds, and they're all those vowel sounds. Go back and listen to that show. And again, it's 379, and I'll try to link it below, uh, because that that's where you should start. You know, when we work on articulation, and this is outlined in my therapy manual, Functional Phonology, we target syllableness and vowels before we would start to think about a child's consonant sound development. And so, uh, again, if you have a child who's maybe not combining syllables, so he says ma for mama, or uh, da for dada, or even something like, you know, you just, maybe even now you're sitting here realizing, gosh, he does just only have one syllable words. Those, that, that is an earlier pattern. So you're, again, you're gonna work, wanna work on that first and vowels first before you would try the strategies that we're going to talk about in this show. All right, so let's review another set of milestones. And that would be, again, this goes back into, you know, we don't wanna work on anything if it's not really a problem developmentally yet. And so what are the norms for constant sound development? Well, by 18 months, we want a child to have three to six different consonant sounds that he uses in words. So if he says mama, dada, and bye-bye by 18 months and uses an M, a D, and a B, that's the lower end of where we would think about for our tick for this child. Now, does that mean that we're gonna work on articulation at 18 months? Absolutely not. It's just to let you know what normal is and what the intelligibility guidelines are. And again, can we try to facilitate it? Can we maybe use some of these strategies to to help a child get placement and to see if those consonants will emerge. Yes, you can certainly do that. However, you're gonna know he's still a little young because we talked about kids really need to be closer to that three-year-old birthday uh, before they're really, uh, from a maturation perspective or a cognitive perspective, oftentimes ready to work on our ticks. So 18 months, we want kids to have three to six different consonant sounds. And then by 24 months, we want them to use six to eight different sounds, consonant sounds. And so again, uh, that's going to be everything in the, the alpha, if you're a parent, everything in the alphabet that's not a vowel. So our vowels are A, E, I, O, and U, and sometimes Y, you know, think back to our little rules from, from school, but then the consonant, so everything else. So you want to, uh, how do you do this? So this is uh, what I have parents do in my practice, or if I'm consulting with someone and making some recommendations. I always recommend that a parent write down a word list, at least of the familiar words that they hear their child say every day. And again, at this point, the list should be pretty big because we've already talked about they need to be using language at or near an age-appropriate uh, developmental level. And if you're two and a half, that means that you're going to be using three-word phrases often. And if you're using three-word phrases often, you're going to have a lot of different words to pull from. And so I say to parents, just write down the words that he says, write down how he says it, and then let's just take a look from there. And so we start to identify some patterns. And lots of times parents will come to me, you know, that'll be something we talk about in one session, and then a session or two later, they'll bring the list back or they'll email me back and say, and they'll have their list and they'll say, hey, I can already see some patterns. And that is just the best indication that you're, 
uh, helping a family because they're already analyzing their own child's issues and they're already doing some of that detective work and some of that legwork for you. And so they'll start to see some patterns. And so you can talk to parents about that. And you can tweak that. Maybe a child is two and a half and a parent will say, look, he's got a lot of consonant sounds at the beginning of the word, but not at the end of the word. And then you'll be able to say, well, that's final consonant deletion. And that usually comes in by the time a child is three. And so here's some strategies we can do to get that going. But are we going to focus on it a lot with a two and a half year old? No, or probably not. <laughs> so again, those are things that you can figure out when you have a parent do a list like that. And you can certainly do that as an SLP. You can use a formal articulation assessment or you can do a language sample and then just do some uh, analysis as well. And so what you're really doing though is looking for patterns and so you can again walk through this process with a parent and so this makes sense to them. And so you can start to develop some targets or some goals or some sounds that you think, oh, he doesn't ever use a, a D. And then you look and you say, what are the sounds that are also made in, in the mouth at the same place that he makes the D? Well, that's a T and an N. Does he have any words that contain T and N? And so you do some things like this where you're really, where you're really analyzing. Now, I use a developmental approach like that. And so I think, well, if a child has you know, a P, well, I'm also in an M and I'm not hearing a B, I think, well, gosh, I'm going to be able to get that. Let's just do, you know, let's, let's see what we can get with some cueing with that. Let's introduce some right words. Let's do some other placement strategies if we need it. What can we do to get that B? And I think that's going to be pretty easy because he already has the P and he already has the M. So we know he's already making uh, some sounds there. So that should be an easier thing. Now, I'm always looking for things that are emerging. Or I'll tell you another way that I decided is if we have the sample that we just talked about that the parent uh, took the time to do and we're looking at that and we start to see well, you know, this is his brother's name, uh, you know, starts with an N and he's never saying Nate. Mom says that he says it eight. And look, you know, he's trying to produce that. And that's a really important word to him because his brother is his favorite person in the whole world. That might take precedence over any other goal because it's a word that a kid would need. When a kid doesn't, or a sound that a kid would need for a word he needs. If a kid isn't saying an M or a D, those are kind of slam dunk targets because you want him to be able to say mama and dada as quickly as possible because the parents are dying to hear that. And there, it's really gonna make a communicative difference for him. He's gonna be able to call his parents, his parents are probably going to be, even uh, even if they're already gaga crazy about him, as most parents are, it's just going to endear them, endear him to them even more when he's calling them. So they're going to be more opportunities to practice and he's going, they're, they're going to be uh, even more committed to his language development because they've waited so long on those words. So again, using some really common sense kinds of strategies. You know, in the IFSP process, in early intervention, one of the things that you do is really have a family list of priorities. And lots of times parents will, you know, they'll say, I just wanted to talk. You know, we have to go beyond that and really, really look at that. Lots of times parents are saying, well, our, our main thing is I want him to be able to tell me when he's hurt or something. And you'll, you'll have to say, well, that, that's going to come later. You know, that's, I, I know what you're saying on that, but we've got to get some basic, you know, naming some nouns. You know, what are some, what are his favorite things? What are his favorite foods? And you walk through that process for language. And so we should be paying attention to those same kinds of things when we're setting up articulation goals as well. And so you think about the words that are important to a family and that are important to a child. And maybe they're, maybe his favorite food in the world 
it, maybe the way he pronounces that that word is just off so that no one other than mom or dad would ever understand what that word is and so think about those real life functional kinds of things that uh, we should consider for kids too so beyond that i just kind of look again as this developmental process and as you can see if a kid doesn't have bilabials I think that's what we should target first because we talked about mama there and then alveolars would be second. So again, you can kind of see we're moving from the front of the mouth to the back. Uh, and so, and because K and G are those pharyngeal throat sounds in that last uh, class of sounds that we're gonna talk about today or the last little sounds that would be in this developmentally appropriate range. Again, sometimes I don't get there with a kid because before they've moved off and done, uh, moved on to preschool or they've gotten too old for me, they've outgrown me. So uh, again, that's certainly something that uh, we can consider as we're selecting our targets. So, um, you know, another thing that we, that we wanna talk about when we're working with parents as well is we don't want to work on a ton of sounds at the same time, particularly from different classes. And so I think about, well, if I'm going to work on an M, I'm going to go ahead and include P's and B's and even some W's there because I, I want all of these sounds to kind of clean up at the same time. And if you really think about phonology and phonological development, that's the theory. You know, when we can change the characteristics and placement is the first thing that we really look at with kids. When we can get that going, we know that we are uh, going to be able to hopefully make a big change in a child's speech intelligibility. So a lot of therapists will still stick to kind of the traditional one sound at a time. And if you feel like you're not making any progress, if you've said, okay, I'm gonna work on alveolar, so I'm gonna do T's, D's, and N's, or let's say that he, I don't know, let's say there's just kind of a you know, off the, let's say he's got an N and you decide, yeah, I should work on that D and that T. That's wonderful. Do that. But if you feel like for some reason, gosh, maybe I should just stick to one sound, always use your gut instinct with that. But generally working on a sound class is going to be uh, easier and help make more of an impact. Now, once you have your goal, you're not quite ready to start. And again, sometimes parents will say, you know, okay, so we're working on H or we're working on W or we're working on K and they'll just think of every K word that they can and that's wonderful we want to go there but sometimes a lot of times when a child is misarticulating or substituting a sound it's because of the process called co-articulation and this really really means that the vowel sound is influencing how the child produces the consonant sound and so if we work on words that are too hard meaning that the, the consonant is made at the front of the mouth and the vowel is made at the back of the mouth and the kid usually backs. So he substitutes a back consonant, say a K for a P. When he does that, we don't wanna work on words with vowels that are also made in that same place in the mouth because that's gonna to be too hard. That's too much of a challenge. So what we need to do is put our consonants in facilitative context so that we make it easier for a child to get it right. And then once he has lots of practice, then we start to add targets that are a little bit more challenging. Now. As an SLP, we think about this all the time. I mean, this is, you know, kind of a crash course in our, our toddler or tick, right? We would think about that. But again, parents don't necessarily think about it. So that's our job is to say, sometimes, you know, you might even have to say, hey, I know you want to say this word and you can practice all you want to, that's fine. 
but just know that he's probably not going to be able to do that yet. So what I would like for us to do is stick to these words so he can own the sound and he can really master it. And then once he's done that, then we'll start to bring in some of these other words. And again, parents are going to mess that up or they're going to blow you off or whatever sometimes but you've given them the correct information and then they understand what you're saying and they start to say well you know she's right because when he says key he gets his k but when he tries to say cake he says tate you know he he uses a t in place of the k sound there a t for a k and so again parents will start to see some of that when you've taken the, the time to explain it now will every parent appreciate this detailed information maybe not but you don't know until you offer <laughs> and so i like to give parents as much information as they seem to want and when we're working on our tick especially if a parent has just complained about intelligibility where you know that that's one of their primary things or where they'll, they'll say things even like laura you know, I am so happy he's talking, and I just, I just feel terrible for saying this, but my goodness, I wish I could understand him better. And that's how a lot of parents will feel, too, or they'll feel like that's that natural next extension. And so, again, you ha you'll have to talk parents uh, kind of through that and, you know, really, really talk with them about uh, some of that stuff. All right, so uh, we have to pick those target words. We have to get them, uh, we have to give a kid the very best shot of being able to say it. And again, the parents might, and teachers, not everybody, you know, he's still going to say other words throughout the day, but you do your best to explain that. All right, so uh, that's what we're going to talk about now is how we're going to select our target words and what we're going to do with that. Let me say one more thing. I'm going to get, let, let's just talk about how this is going to be organized. We talked about what uh, our sounds are, our sounds made at the front of our mouth, so P, B, M, and W, and then our sounds made at the middle of our mouth, T, D, and N, and then our back consonants, K, G, and then that glottal H, so the H back there too. So uh, those are the sounds that we're going to talk about. And I'm going to give you a name of a sound, and we'll talk about that, not just calling it. We're going to call it something that helps the kid know how to produce it. So we're going to give it a semantic cue there. And then I'm going to give you that list of words that are uh, most facilitative. So the vowel is matched with a consonant. And I've done everything I can to pull words that will be functional or meaningful for a two-year-old in the some of them are three-year-olds. Some of them are kind of a stretch. But you'll see what I mean as we go. There are probably some pretty creative ways that you can work on those. And then I'm going to give you some tips. So if you can't get the sound, if he'll never say it, can't ever get it right, these are some tricks or some strategies that you could use to uh, that are maybe uh, that you, if you are an SLP who's focused on language forever, or maybe you're an SLP who is moving from, say, a school age position to an early intervention position, and you're trying to use your strategies that are designed for older children, and they just don't work. So hopefully we'll be able to kind of walk uh, through some of those. And so let me also say, let's talk about, before we get to the specific sounds, let's talk about one more thing. This is how we cue sounds for toddlers, so we're always going to do visual, verbal, and tactile cues. So we're going to tell them what to say or how to say it. 
We're going to show them, and that's mostly with our, our faces here. Watch me. Look at this. Look at my lips or some other kind of descriptive thing that we're doing there. And then lastly, help them, and that would be where we provide some physical touch cues. Now, I'm not going to go over that information because I've done a different show about that. It's show number 376, and I'll try to link it below so that you can find that show easily. But that's really going to give you some information about those specific visual, verbal, and tactile cues. And, and again, some of those touch cues and what we do for that and what we don't do for that for toddlers. Because lots of those cues, too, are uh, will actually drive kids away from you. And I never, ever, ever want to shut a kid's communication down or make him want to get away from me. I want to bring him to me. And so, again, sometimes the way that we cue a sound is just as important as some of the things that we're going to talk about today. But go back and listen to show 376 so that you can hear those strategies too. But let me quickly review one thing that's in there, and then I promise we're getting to the sounds. So first, the first thing we're going to do when we cue a word with a new sound, we're going to put it at the beginning beginning of the word because that gives a kid a shot to do it. Now sometimes kids, especially kids who have other signs and symptoms and markers of apraxia, will not be able to do initial consonants as, the, as well as they will be able to do final consonants. And you should know that if you're an SLP and you should, if you're hearing a kid that you're thinking, gosh, I can't believe he has some final consonants and he omits initial consonants. I hope that you're thinking apraxia for that uh, diagnosis. You know. Uh, at the least, you know, phonological uh, process of initial constant deletion is there that you've certainly, it's, it's probably a pattern, but, you know, again, we think about apraxia with that. But generally, for most kids, we're going to start with the target sound, <coughs> pardon me, in the initial position, and we're just going to cue it at the word level. And why do we do this? Because sometimes, and this has happened so many times that, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you because I want you to try it too. Sometimes we'll think, well, he doesn't have a P. He hardly ever has a P. And before we get to all of the more advanced kind of techniques, we should just start really cueing the word and, and seeing and looking at our really specific P words. What are the words that are easiest for this child to do? Well, let me just kind of cue some of these and see if he can say them. And you may just do this really just kind of, you know, Brandon, say pee-pee. Brandon, say poo-poo. And if he puts a P on there, if he's not hysterically cracking up because you use potty words, sometimes that's all it takes. And you think, wow, you know, I've either hit him just at the right spot <laughs> maturation-wise and he's gotten it, or it's because we've done enough of the legwork and enough cueing because, you know, again, uh, we didn't recognize how far he's come and how he's ready to do the sound. And so sometimes just cueing that, and, and parents sometimes will say that. They'll say, Laura, I didn't even have to get to that other stuff that we talked about because, you know, we did it in the session last week, and he's already started to do it. And that is wonderful when that happens. That is a gift, and I hope that you appreciate that when it happens as, as often as it does to you, as I'm sure it does, because... You don't have to work on that. And so you think, great, I'm going to work on something else there. But be sure that you're cueing it in the initial position in a new word just to see if a child will get it. So what do you do if he doesn't get it then? Then and only then do you start to kind of pull it back to isolation where, uh, you know, again, let's use those words, you know, pee-pee and poop. Uh, so you pull it back and you say, oh, listen, listen, listen how Laura says that. Pee-pee, pee-pee, did you hear that? That's my popper sound. Can you do it? P-P. And so you are modeling that. You're keeping it in isolation, but you're giving him the word, too. And so you keep that just real light and real fun. And sometimes, again, a kid, within a few sessions, that's all it's going to take for you to kind of cue it like that. And so if you can get it, fantastic. If you can't get it there, then 
and only then is when we would introduce the more complicated or complex strategies that we're going to talk about today. And so um, always remember, too, that when you're looking at things, uh, looking at cueing a child or, or doing some probing like this for a child's articulation, remember that you want to get the sound in a word as quickly as you can. Don't leave it at, in isolation. And so don't stay at that level too long with toddlers. And even as you're cueing, oh, listen to me. Look at my lips. See, see my popper sound? Pop, pop, pop. That you quickly again introduce the word you know pop, 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 like pop did you hear me pop and again don't go as fast as i've modeled that although sometimes i probably do uh, but uh, you you want to again match the rhythm of what you're doing but give a child that input and see if he can get it just from that level of cueing alone all right so now let's start moving through these strategies so if you have purchased the course uh, continuing education get out your handout it's uh, page two and we're gonna we are going to start with the bilabial so these are P's B's and M's and let me give you the milestone they're usually mastered at both the beginnings and endings of words by 36 months so here's that big third birthday marker again and so let's talk about what these names are now I said a second ago that we were going to give every sound a name and I call that a semantic cue and again that's just a really fancy way of saying we want to give a child a way to remember this sound now some parents will say well why don't I just call it a P sound or why don't I just call it say M because <laughs> we have to give a child more information again about how to produce that sound so that he can synthesize that information and he can start to internalize it and again this is another reason why we can't really do this with kids much younger than that three-year-old birthday or you know getting close to turning three and so that that's why we do it and another thing that we can do is when we get to the point with the child when we're working with his articulation then we don't always have to provide the direct model instead of saying you know oh tell me let me hear it let me hear you've got to put your on there we have another way to cue that sound with that with that name and so that child can hear it oh the popper oh that's my popper sound now I did not come up with this this is a strategy that David Hammer an apraxia expert who's a speech-language pathologist I heard started hearing him talk maybe in the late 90s and he was doing that and that uh, that strategy works for me and it's worked for me the entirety of my career and so I try to talk about it as often as I can with toddler articulation that that is that is something that really really works because then you're going to have a way to uh, help a child generalize that and follow through with the progress that he's made with you in the session or with the parents in you in the session you know they're going to have another way to cue that which is not as direct and remember that we always want to go from the least amount of cueing to the most amount of cueing and so we start out again we don't want to give a kid anything more than he needs and we want him to quickly move to that word and so this is another way to facilitate that so that he is going to be less dependent on your direct props so the sounds for our bilabials or our lip sounds made at the front of our mouth so p is a popper sound and doesn't it fit you know you pop your lips that's how we make that p a b can you can call it your big popper or your loud popper and for slps you certainly understand voiceless versus voiced consonants but we have to explain that to parents that p and b are the same sound with p we don't use our voices or we don't vibrate our vocal folds but with b we do so we turn our voices on so that's the difference between a p and a b 
And talk to parents too about not putting a big schwa or a big neutral vowel on the end when they are modeling a sound. They shouldn't say buh. You need to say the buh sound. You know, say you're actually adding a U right there. So uh, talk to parents about that and talk about that they really just want to crisply model that sound. That's that's a description that's worked really well for me. Now your M sound, and again, you don't have to use my sounds for these or my suggestions. You can come up with your own descriptors. If a child has a cute little thing that he does that uh, you think, oh, that's going to help him really master this sound and understand what this sound is, certainly use that. But for M, I use an mm-mm good sound because I make that uh, sound a lot when I'm working with my little friends because we eat and have snacks all the time. A motor sound, that's a good little cue for that because motor with the M there, a humming sound. If you have a child that you've noticed hums as he or she plays, you know, that may be a kid that if they're not doing an M, you could call it the humming sound. Uh, and I've called it a mama sound for kids who really, really love their mamas and who seem to get that and that seemed to kind of work for them. Maybe that was a default word that they used. So it might be their mama sound. So those are lip sounds that you can use. So we've talked about that we're going to uh, cue then some words. So let's skip on down um, to look at the easiest words with initial bilabials. And so these are, again, we're pairing P with vowels that are made at the front of the mouth. So your list there, P, Papa, Papa, People, Pal, Pie, Pop, Peep, and Poop. And again, uh, those are the most common, those are the easiest words for a child to produce when you're, you're uh, trying to get a P and he's not used that consonant before. These are also all developmentally uh, appropriate words. And again, we talked about that a little bit. With B, same kinds of things. B, boo, bow, bye or bye-bye, boy and beep. And then M, our target words, me, mama, moo, and my. So those are the words that we're going to try to do. So if uh, so, we're going to cue the sound in a new word like we talked about before. If we can get it, hallelujah. We're going to just work on some other words. We're going to put it in play. We're going to make sure that that sound is, he's producing that sound most of the time. And then we're going to move on from that if that's all it took. But if we get a kid that even you've used some things like, oh, I want to hear your mm -mm, good sound. You do it. You do it. Mm. You say that with me. Mm. More. Mm. Mama. And again, you can't, when you're probing, you can do a little bit of that out of context. But most of the time, you're going to want to keep these words in context. So you can't do a lot of say this, say that, tell me this, say, say this, repeat this. You can't do a lot of that before you'll lose a kid's attention. So be sure that you, and we'll talk a little bit more in a minute um, when we start to talk about the activities, about how we select activities. But I, I want you to be aware of that, that you can't do a ton of that without losing a toddler's attention. And, you know, why not? Who would want to do that? <laughs> so uh, just know that you may have to even, again, get some activities so that you can really, really see how a child is producing uh, this speech sound target in those words. So what do you do if a kid isn't getting it just from that earliest level of cueing. Well, we're going to look at these eight suggestions that you'll find on your handout there. So the first thing we would do is think about everything we could do to get placement or accurate placement of uh, 
consonants made at the front of the mouth or with his lips. Now, uh, Pamela Marshalla was a wonderful speech-language pathologist that taught us a ton about speech sound development and oral motor development. And one of the things that she came up with that she recommended uh, in her course for working specifically with children with apraxia is to do some training or some playing <laughs> where we focus on a child's lips. And so blowing raspberries is what she came up with for this. And so she really talked about using these kinds of placement activities with the child just to get them to be more aware, really to kind of know they have lips and know that they can move them or know that they can use the back of their mouth for something other than swallowing food. And so again, blowing raspberries. So for your bilabial raspberry, uh, those raspberries made at the front of your mouth, you're gonna just do a for a P kid doesn't have a B, you'll voice that. And then again, you know, uh, for an M, that would be more like a hum. So that's our first line of uh, our first little thing, because sometimes kids, again, you start, you get that, you get that exercise going, and can you do it where you sit a kid on the counter and say, you know, this is your oral motor uh, portion of the therapy session or articulation or whatever you want to call it. No, you've got to put it in context. So you might play with boats in the water. You might play with cars, any uh, airplanes, anything where you could kind of justify or make it, give it a little bit of context and uh, make that make sense. And again, for toddlers, I didn't say this before, but we, re we really want to stay away from apps and screens. And uh, although that might be really, really effective just for short little doses or short amounts of time, we don't want to spend an entire therapy session or for a parent, you know, an entire 45 minutes at home trying to get your child to use an app like that. Use these kinds of real life play activities first. Toddlers always learn best by doing or by moving. And so we want their, their uh, we want them doing something. We want them playing with toys or playing with you or playing, you know, gross motor or kind of social game with you. That's always going to be more effective. But so you'll even have to put these activities, a lot of these strategies that we're going to talk about right now, you still have to put them in play activities. And we'll talk about those in a minute, what my favorite ones are for every sound. But that's the first one. The second one that we can do is, again, put something, put candy gel, yogurt, or peanut butter on your lips and on the child's lips. So you're going to both do it. And you just encourage the child to put, the, put their lips together. Now, something like chapstick or lip gloss might work too. But let me tell you, in some kids, in some toddlers, <laughs> and while you're doing it, you have to talk about your lips. You have to say, oh, you know, oh my goodness, look at that on my lips. Make the sounds. Mm. Make the sounds while you're using that. Don't let this be so disconnected. You know, again, you want to do everything you can to tie this activity to the sound and then more importantly to the word. Now, for some kids, when you're going to put that on their lips, what are they going to do? They go straight to sticking their tongues out and licking it, and you cannot get a bilabial to save your life. And so then you'll know this is an example of where this is just not developmentally appropriate for this child. It's beyond what I want them to do. It's beyond what the, or beyond what I can get them to do. And so think about that. If you start to see some of these strategies kind of backfire on you, you'll know, well, he's not ready. That's on me. I've got to wait a little bit. You know, I didn't read his cues. And so that's certainly something that can help. But for a fair amount of kids, that's not going to be effective. The other thing, strategy number three, use whistles or horns with flat mouthpieces, not the little circular kind, but really flat mouthpieces to help a child close his lips. And again, this is just to make him more aware of it. 
the next thing that you could do, and these get a little more, you know, those are really play-based things, and so those were things that are really kind of, again, a light, oral motor light or arctic light, and again, we let me just say, there's not a ton of, uh, let's just say it this way, sometimes a child can do these things, but still not use the sound in the words. So will this necessarily produce the A to B connection? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, and again, that's why I said you've got to get that sound quickly in the words. This is just to help a child with placement, just to help bring awareness to it. This does not need to be the focus of a therapy set, the, focus, the sole focus you know, of an entire session with a kid who, again, is younger, on the younger end of that range, we would never want to do that. So it just would just be a supplemental activity. So let's move on to this next little set of activities. These are going to be things that fall more in the visual uh, cueing and even some in tactile cues if you're actually touching the child too. So for P and B, you can certainly tap your lips with your fingers, and you saw me do that before when I was just modeling that, so that a child, in, encourage him to do that with his lips too and with his fingers so that you're saying, oh, it's your popper sound, it's your popper, listen, pop, 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 pop. oh, you pop it, you show me, you do it with your fingers, show me, pop, 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 pop. and again, if that isn't if a kid is not going to do that with you for very long and they won't, you've got to get that in a toy or in a play activity or with a toy. So something like with bubbles or something like uh, some of my other little uh, toys that I'm going to show you. I have some push and pull toys. And so you want to get it in that context uh, as quick as you can and, and, and practice that in the context. So when you, let's say that you're going to shoot the popper ball that I'll show you in a minute, the popper ball toy. You're going to shoot that and you're going to say, oh, listen, listen, did you hear it? It's going to pop. That's with our popper sound. Listen, pop, pop. Listen for that. You listen. Pop, 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 pop. And then again, you're doing that enough. Not so much that you're obnoxious, that the child wants to leave you and never see you again, but enough so that he gets it and he starts to internalize that and that you start to get some repetitions back. You start to see some imitations. So, and cue him. Go ahead and say, oh, you do it too. Let me hear your popper. Come on now. Your turn. All those little things, but keep it light, keep it fun. Don't make it demanding at this point where he has to say something before he gets the toy. You can move up to that, but with our tick at the beginning with toddlers, the younger they are, the lighter and the more fun uh, this needs to be. So that was a cue for P and B. The next one uh, for M, we do the same kinds of things where we are. Uh, showing him the visual cue where we're saying, look, look at my lips. I'm going to hide my lips. Mmm. Do you see my lips? Do you see those lips? Mmm. No lips. Where'd Laura's lips go? You make your lips disappear. And so that's a really uh, good effective strategy with a lot of toddlers is that's how we get them to close their lips uh, for M. And so again, we're providing that visual cue with saying, look at me, and we're pointing to what we want them to do, and then we're having them do that as well as they can. Now, what do you do if a kid won't try to touch his lips? Do you take his little hand and force him to touch his lips? I don't do that. I only do it if I think that it'll make a big difference or if a child isn't going to get mad. But if there's any chance that I will drive him away from me, no way am I going to do that. All right, the next thing we want to do <coughs> for P uh, is have a child blow and then open and close his lips with a pop or help with your fingers. So you start with a blow and then we are helping him. We put our 
uh, index finger on his right above his upper lip and our thumb below the lower lip and that sounds really technical but that's how any parent or grandparent in the world would probably cue this sound <laughs> and so you know we're going to tell him blow and then you say oh my goodness you did it you did it i heard that popper let's do it again and so use your fingers again with that and lots of kids will start to do that themselves they'll use their own little cue now you don't want them to keep it forever you want to eventually extinguish that cue but if it helps them get that placement that's a really really good idea and again for b we would do the same thing but we want him humming and pop his little lips for b and then for an m certainly the hum is going to produce that sound all right so those were our tricks for p b and m and now when we come back i'm going to show you my favorite play activities to get those sounds with toddlers now I'm going to show you my favorite activities to use with toddlers to work on bilabials P, B, and M. Now if you purchase the handout for this course with course number 418, you've got your target list of words there. And remember we talked about facilitative context, meaning that we are going to match the placement uh, for the consonant and the vowel, so in that word, to make it easier for that child to produce your target sound of an initial bilabial. And so for parents, if that sounds a little technical for you, that's just a word that would start with P, B, or M. So let me show you my favorite activities. First of all, anything with potty words, like pee pee and poop or poo poo or whatever your a child's family or your family happens to say is a fantastic target for early P. First of all, most kids who are two and three are potty training at some point during that developmental period and they start to really get humor. So they think it is so funny to talk about those little potty words. So those are two great targets. Now I love this little uh, pretend potty that I found. Can you hear that flush? So kids love it and we get a ton of practice, you know, pretending like the baby, you know, what did he do? Or what did she do? Did she pee pee or did she poo poo? Or again, whatever your word happens, uh, whatever your word that you use for that. So great way to do it. If you don't have a little pretend potty, parents can certainly work that out in the context of daily routines and talking about that with their child. But even pretending with the baby doll that you're changing the diaper and talking about pee pee and poop with that. So that's my, my number one go-to with toddlers when they're struggling to get that initial pee. The next activity that I like to do would be bubbles. Now again, remember we talked about if you uh, watch the first part of the course, when we're working on one sound made or a constant sound made in the mouth, we can generally think about working on the other sounds at the same time and all those sounds will come in. Uh, and that's the theory anyway. And there is uh, some differentiation with the child's phonological development. You know, maybe he's not gotten voicing or stridency or whatever another characteristic would happen to be. But we're talking about strictly kind of the earliest little way that we can analyze and then facilitate a constant sound development and so we know that we can work on if we work on a p or a b we know that we can get an m and vice versa because it's all made right there at the same place so with bubbles bubble isn't exactly a perfect target word for a b but it is functional and kids like it the words that we would need to work on here would be pop and pow and so when you're blowing your bubbles see if a kid will do pop but then 
just to get some variety. Pow, pow, pow. And I think we talked about this before, but I want to say it again. Sometimes when we introduce a new word that a child has never said before, it's easier for him to get the sound, the new sound, because he hasn't overlearned the mistake or his error. So think about that. So if you're trying to introduce a word and you can't quite get the sound, but you're not sure what's going on, try a new word. And if you'll do a novelty word like pow, lots of times we can get that even more quickly with a toddler uh, because they're extra motivated to try that word. All right, another really good toy that I use from the very beginning when I'm working on bilabials are these cool popper toys. And I love it because the sound that the toy makes is exactly what we call the sound. So remember we talked about before, P is our popper sound and then B would be our loud popper or our big popper. And so when we're hearing the toy make the noise, it sounds just like a pop, right? So you talk to the kid about, oh, listen, listen, you do it with your lips. Did you hear, did you hear uh, the unicorn or whatever, the pig or the dog or the puppy, whatever your popper ha happens to be? Did you hear it? Did you hear the pop? You do it with your mouth. You do it, you pop. And so that's how you cue that. And you use the visual cues that we were talking about before with our strategies where you're really pointing to your lips so that you're showing the child and you're giving them more information about how that sound is made. So the popper toys are a winner. Another good P target that I like, especially for older kids. And, and you know, I specialize in birth to three. So that younger... Uh, younger kids in early intervention and sometimes I'll see three-year-olds and four-year-olds but certainly by the time a kid gets to be pushing kindergarten they are way too old for me <laughs> and so sometimes when we work with those kinds of kids because my toys and the materials that I use are geared toward that younger age range some of our little friends have gotten so mature that they don't really like baby toys now sometimes it works the opposite they love baby toys because they're out of that phase and they're easy and they haven't seen them for a while but some of our little guys we really have to stay on our toes to find materials that are interesting and challenging enough to keep their attention now these little tubes are a good way to work on that and I love it because you can pull and push and so those are your target words with uh, these toys and I, sometimes uh, our, our little guys are still working on language development too so you can get some good verb practice with that but these are good toys too because you can or but, but, but use your uh, sounds there and it changes the acoustic properties. It makes kids pretend like they're using a microphone and they can work on that popper sound, but these are really cute. And I'm not sure that I've uh, said this before, but I'll try to link all these toys in the description below or at least in a post where you can go take a look at these toys and purchase those from Amazon if you're interested in that. All right, another older toy here is Pop-Up Pirate. You can use the same target words, push and pull and pop. And so great activity uh, for older kids too. Now let's move on and talk about bees. When we're working on a bee, I try to use bye-bye and we wave and we say bye to every activity that we are doing in the, <coughs> pardon me, in the context of therapy that day. And certainly that's another one that you can pass off to parents and say, hey, this, this is what I'd like for you to do since we're working on that bilabial B, everything that you can say bye to during the day, I'd like for you to do that because that's really gonna give them practice. And you talk to parents about, 
you you know cueing their child with saying use your loud popper let me hear your big popper for buh with that and so really talk to parents about doing that or buh and try to get parents to limit the use of their additional vowel and i just did it wrong i said a big buh instead of trying to limit that and just say buh and really model just the consonant without the vowel but moving on to b's bus i love to play with school buses with kids because we can get a new target word people with this or uh, even boy or mama and we can work on lots of words there in the context but the new word people remember what we just said about that sometimes it's easier to get a new, the target in a new word that a child hasn't overlearned his error so uh, this has certainly been a winner for me with working on bilabials another song that I like to do here and uh, if I didn't mention this before all of these activities are in my treatment manual functional phonology that you can find the link uh, right there below in the YouTube description but I always like to try to include a song and a snack and other ways that you can work in this articulation practice so for B the cute little song bringing home my baby bumble B now a lot of times kids aren't going to get baby bumble but they sure try to get B <laughs> and so even if you have a kid that you're singing I'm bringing home my baby bumble you know do your pause after you've taught the song after you've sung you know i'm bringing home my baby bumblebee won't my mommy be so proud of me i'm bringing home my baby bumblebee ow he stung me so again after you've sung that after you've taught them that song and you've done it a lot start to pause when you're singing i'm bringing home my baby bumble and see if they're going to fill in B. And again, you're making it a verbal routine. You may still have kids at this point that you are cueing because they are they don't have their target. They're not producing that initial B. But that's another wonderful one uh, for you to try there. All right, let's move on and talk about M, the last sound here that we're discussing with bilabials. My go-to activities for M are always these three things. First of all, we play Where's Mama? Now, Mama is a word that every mom in the world is just dying to hear and they think about it from the time or probably even before their baby is born and so they are so anxious to hear that and so when you're working on initial M it's a great first target to do and so have mom hide and you can either put a child in a crib or a pack and play or behind the baby gate or somewhere that they can't get to mom but just have her jump out from behind an obstacle Right, and the reason you want to do that is you kind of want to limit the attention uh, and or limit the not the attention but the distractions for the attention. And so then you have mom jump out, you know, you've called mama, 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 and again, you're hitting that M so that you can elongate it just a little bit so that you really increase the child's awareness of that. And that's what you want the child to do is call for mom, and then when she, after the child says it, she needs to pop out with a lot of fanfare and say, yes, it's mama, mama, it's me, mama. So that's a great initial M target. My next one is targeting M with the word more. Now, some therapists hate the word more, mostly because of the research that came out that said when you teach a kid with autism or suspected autism the word more, he has a really hard time increasing his vocabulary and he may tend to hang on to that sign and hang on to that word longer than he should. Well, you know what? That really is 
an issue with an adult, not moving vocabulary along and not really prioritizing vocabulary expansion. So I still teach more. I think it's a super functional word. I've written a little post about that. I'll try to link that in the description below too, so that you can see all the reasons that I like this word. But I like it primarily because it's all purpose. And again, that's the reason that a lot of other therapists hate it, but I like it because I think it's an early target. I think it gets results. I think it teaches the power of communication. And you can also, again, really convince a, uh, a parent as a therapist to work on this word all the time. So saying and signing the word more, and again, to get more usually of an edible, so a snack or an additional turn, but I like to use it with movement games. So that we are having a child say more when we want him, uh, when we're going to throw him up in the air or when we're going to throw him on a bed or a couch and tickle him or when we're going to chase him or we're going to kiss his belly or whatever little movement thing or social game we've come up with. Using more to work on an additional turn is a fantastic way to target that. And again, it's beyond that snack. Now, I think using more at snack time and meals is fabulous and I'm certainly going to encourage parents to do it. Uh, and I eat with my little friends all the time, but using that sign or mostly that word, since we're talking about articulation here and getting that initial M uh, is an activity that always works for me. Now, the last activity that I'm going to show you that I use routinely with toddlers to get an initial M is the book brown bear. And again, you might be thinking book and bear. Those are good targets for our bilabials since those start with B2. But I like to use this word for me, so for the verbal routine with the book, if you're not familiar with this book, uh, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, what do you see? I see a red bird looking at me. And so the tagline with this book always is, I see whatever animal comes next looking at me. And so you're going to want to read this book a lot and really emphasize me there. Use your sign with it so that you can give a child again. That's the visual cueing part of that so that he, he gets the word that you're about to say next. And you can certainly use that sign and that cue when you want to cue him to say the word and you're not providing the direct model. So you say, and, and you do your pause here too for a child to fill that in. It, it, but if you need to model it so he can hear the sound, that's fine too. But my point is you're gonna really emphasize it here. So I see a yellow duck looking at me. And so do that little expectant waiting there. See if he'll fill it in after he's familiar with the book and you've read it, oh, you know, 50 times <laughs> so that he's really familiar with it. See if you can get in there. All right. So those were my best activities for targeting bilabials with toddlers. The next sound that we want to talk about is a W. Now, W is usually mastered by 32 months with uh, typically developing children. And as an SLP, you might not have thought about W as a bilabial. You might have thought about that as a glide, or that's how you learned it. But if we're thinking about teaching consonant sounds by placement and by looking at what's developmentally appropriate for toddlers, this would be a good time to talk about uh, that sound uh, with kids. Now, the name for a W, what do you call this because remember back in our earlier section we talked about how important it is to give a child another kind of semantic cue or verbal words to tell him or her how the sound is produced. So with a W, I call that my windy sound. Sometimes you can call it a slidey sound, and I think that's uh, David Hammer, a speech pathologist who 
uh, is an expert in apraxia talks about that because it gives the child the idea that they have to slide from an ooh to an e to make a w e so that kind of action is how we think about that with a slidey sound but i usually kind of stick to the w or the windy because it starts with the w and i think it's easier for parents to remember so the windy sound all right so let's talk about the facilitative context words or the best context words to get a w and remember what we said about that when we compare the consonant, the placement of the consonant with the placement of the vowel, it is more likely that a child will be able to produce the consonant correctly. So what will we do for W? Well, first of all, we that we just, you know, and you might think about that as a we, you know, that extra little breathy sound in there. But, you know, just just think about saying it, um, you know, with we. Other words are way, woe, wall, wipe. Wham, so another good option for bubbles, or worm. So those would be other good um, words that we could use to try to get the sound mastered and then move it to other words. So if a kid can't do that, when you are just probing and you're saying, say wait, say we, say, you know, whatever, and you, you think, okay, you can't get it. I can't ever get this W. I can't get it in wash. So let me think of what... I uh, can do. Give me some other options for that. So that's what I'm going to do now. So first of all, we would cue a child to round their lips if he can't get the sound started. And I'll tell you just that visual cue alone saying, you know, show me, show me your windy sound. Ooh, get ready for the wind. Get ready. Just that, that cue alone will do it for a lot of toddlers. If not, you may have to really work on rounding. So you can do that with whistles or horns that have a round mouthpiece. You could practice straw drinking. You could even do some blowing with some straws, maybe blowing cotton balls across the table. But let me caution with you, or caution you, sometimes children will end up really good blowers at the ends of those kinds of activities and still not be able to transition that lip posture or lip movement to a sound and then a word. So this is why we talked about at the beginning, you've got to quickly, quickly move the sound into words with toddlers. So even if you're saying, show me your windy sound, show me, look, 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 ooh, get it right into a word. You might go right into wow, which isn't necessarily on our, our sheet here, but that's a good one that I've used in the past too. So uh, think about how you can do that with just those little cues rather than over relying or sticking with that blowing or any other kind of rounding uh, that you would do to try to get that W. All right, so now what I want to do, since we've talked about the sound, we've talked about the best words to use for that, let me show you my favorite activities to use with toddlers. Now we're ready to talk about our best activities with toddlers to get an initial W. So the first thing that I try to do is get the word we. And so we just talked about that, what an easy uh, word that is since kids use that lip rounding to move to lip spreading there for E. So we is a good one. So you can either swing on a swing set and really practice the we. As you're swinging or if you're in a home visit or even in a clinical setting swinging in a blanket is a wonderful activity for toddlers now you can it's best if you have two people you and the mom or you and someone else there and you're swinging the child and that you know you always need to be sure that you are modeling that keyword over and over and over and again so the kid can hear it he's got to hear the correct sound but also so that he can start to imitate that so even though you're saying we 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 you might call that that might become kind of your 
action word, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to play? And so we would be your target there. Or how do you, how do you, how does it sound when you're swinging? We, and so you want to elicit the word, even though you are really, again, doing the movement and modeling the sound, you still want to give the child an opportunity to use that word so that he can get that target sound. So that's our first activity, swinging in a blanket to get we. The second one, our target word here is wash. Now this is not, again, one of the most, uh, one of the best words to use at the beginning for getting a W, but it is a word that a kid can practice. And there's so many fun opportunities with water play that parents uh, like this. And you can certainly a lot of times get this sound going with talking about all the different ways that a parent can play with water. With toys, I like to use this baby bathtub. And I think this one is from the Dollar General or the Dollar Store. or so. You can find this version though. I'll try to link one uh, from Amazon below but a bathtub that works for a baby that you could put real water in another version is this sink with running water so that you can wash dishes and so another target word here for this activity would be wipe so certainly back with the baby doll you know wiping the baby wash the baby water you know all your uh, fantastic opportunities to use that initial w in words so great great ones there let me show you another one that i use a lot and it's with this toy called a flat ball uh, it's always usually over kind of in the Nerf toy section if you're looking in a store. But this uh, word, weight, is a fantastic one, again, because it's got that facilitative context with that long A. And so I, this ball is so cool because you push it down and then your keyword here is weight. So, and it popped too fast. But while the ball is down, you want to have the child pat his legs or pat the table or something to keep his hands back and wait for the ball to pop. So wait, it's just popping so quickly. But you get the idea there. So wait, 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 wait. And you can come up with other little games where something fun is about to happen. And we teach a child, you know, wait, 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 and have him pat his legs or do something again, uh, like I said before, with his hands. So another good one there. Another really fun one that uh, lots of kids are so interested in is playing with trains. So Thomas the Train. So your keyword here is obviously what? Woo, woo, for the choo-choo train. And I like that word, woo, because we've got your lips rounded there. A lot of times kids are doing the ooh, ooh, or choo-choo. And here we're just going to switch it and add that initial W and get uh, woo-woo there for trains. Another really fun uh, word that I like to get at the very beginning with kids when we are working on W, if I've gotten it a uh, in other uh, words that have that more uh, positive facilitative context and then I might move to wow and so any kind of toy that's going to produce a visual effect that you could get you know wow and I think it's another fun one for kids to do and another uh, great one that parents like to practice too my last activity for getting initial W and this is especially good for older kids is playing watch me and so what they have to do is say to their moms or to you or whoever they're playing with, uh, watch or watch me so then they can do something silly. Now, if you have a three or four year old and you've worked with 
uh, younger preschoolers before, you know this is a fabulous idea because they are always trying to get their mom's attention or dad's attention or somebody else to have them do a trick. It might be that they're making a face or they're jumping or they're rolling around on the ground or whatever they're doing, but that is a really fun game to get going. And how you get that going is you just model it. You say to the child, hey, watch me, and then just do something silly, you know, pop your lips or uh, jump or any of those other things, you know, that you could do or just make it just the silliest face that you can make and so watch me and then you give a child an opportunity after you've done it two or three times or even the parent being there with you or someone else there with you in therapy get them involved so that y'all are, are saying hey watch me get that good W there and then have the child watch you do that and then he in turn can do his own funny trick but the key is he's got to use that phrase or that word watch alright so those are my best ideas for teaching initial W. Now we're ready to talk about consonant sounds for toddlers that are made in the middle of your mouth, so your alveolar sounds. Now if you're not an SLP, you may not have ever heard that word before, but that just means the part of your mouth, if you'll feel it right now, if you'll take your tongue tip and you'll touch the little bumps, the little ridge right behind your top teeth. That's your alveolar ridge. And this is where a child needs to place his tongue, the tip of his tongue, in order to correctly produce a T, a D, or an N. All right, so let me give you the milestones for this. Uh, beginning and final T and N are usually mastered by 75% of kids by the time they turn two, and then D is a little bit later. Uh, beginning and final positions in words by 28 months, and we certainly know that uh, beginning D is earlier than that 28 months, so that's a pretty early developing consonant sound. All right, so now let's talk about the names that we're going to give T, D, and N to help a child know how to correct produce that sound. So for T and D, you can say your tongue tapper or your tippy sound and then call that's for T and then D, do just like we did for P and B, call it your loud tongue tapper sound or your loud tippy sound. And again, that's to denote voiceless T t versus voiced D, D there, okay? Uh, and hopefully with uh, therapists, sometimes you have to explain that to parents so that they kind of get that too. Sometimes parents don't want that information, but gosh, I have found most of them do. They like to know why you're working on what you're working on, and they like to know how skilled this is and that they need your expertise and they need your input. So talk about those kinds of things with parents. Uh, the other sound here, our N, our nasal sound for N, I like to call this my no sound. And that's how a lot of kids that I work with after they they've had to learn that initial N, that's how they say it with no. So again, you could call it that, or you could also call it uh, your, your no sound. Lots of times uh, kids will like that too. So let's talk about our early TD and N words that you could use to probe and see. And, and sometimes, remember, we talked about if you use a new word, a kid will be more likely to produce the sound correctly because he hasn't over using his overlearned error. So the words that you could try for T, toe, two, tea, like the number T, or sweet tea if you drink tea in your home, ten, turn, and tie. For D, the words are do, day, Duh, <laughs> as in duh, uh, dada, doe as in play-doh, doll, done, and dot. And then for n, no, knee, nay, uh, new, now, none, 
night, net, and nine. So you have a lot of target words here, a lot of target words for T, D, and N. So what do we do if a kid's not doing that? If we can't get the the new sound, the target sound, just from model, you, your modeling and giving him some light cues, as in, you know, use your N, listen, that's going to be your no sound. Let me hear you say it, no. Let's try it again, try new, and see if he can do it that way. If he can't get it that way, let's bump up and look at some additional strategies that you can try. First of all, since a child needs to be able to lift his tongue to touch those bumps or touch his hard palate there, you've got to work on tongue elevation. So you might, again, do something like I did with you earlier when I said, put your tongue up there and see if you can feel those bumps. Now, lots of two-year-olds will understand that and try to imitate that, but a lot of them won't, particularly if they've had other kinds of language delays. So you might have to bump it up a little bit and give them something to do. So the next thing I like to try is to get a child to click his tongue. So, and again, you might think about it as a bigger click. You can do it that way or just that little t -t 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 because I think that lends itself so nicely to try to go ahead and get the sound. And remember what we said about this with bilabials. We said we cue all these things to get the placement, but we don't want to leave it at that isolated little trick alone. We want to quickly move it to the sound and then quickly move it to a word. So remember that and think about this even as we are moving through these strategies. So another good thing to do would be to model a gross approximation of T when you're pretending to eat. And a lot of us will naturally do that. If we're you know, pretending to feed a baby doll, we'll say or something like that even to move it closer to that sound. A lot of times I'll say eat, eat, eat to really cue that T even though it's in the final position there. Another thing that we can do for placement is just to really help a child and this again is kind of that next level up. When we see that a child doesn't have very much tongue movement, we've already talked about elevation. If we can't get elevation, we might just try to get some kind of gross movement anyway. So you might have them just imitate anything you do with your tongue. We talked about the clicking, so sticking your tongue out or lateralizing which means side to side get a child to copy that. I like to do it in the context of dogs because again we're talking about alveolar sounds with a D so I like to say you know how my doggy wags his tail? Look at this. You do that. You wag your little tongue like that puppy dog does. And see and again we want to quickly get to elevation. We don't want to leave it there because we'll lose the child and you won't ever associate gosh this is that next thing that I'm supposed to do which is to get that sound. So that certainly is something that you can try. Okay, um, if he can't get his tongue up at all, maybe try to do help him do that with a tongue depressor. Now, for lots of toddlers, this will be completely aversive. And some parents don't even, won't even really want you doing this because they're going to say, oh, he's going to pitch a fit. It's going to be too hard for him to recover. I don't even want to do that yet. And I certainly understand that and get that. But if you feel like that you're skilled enough to do that, you can certainly help him move his uh, tongue up with that tongue depressor to uh, get uh, that movement there that he needs to lift and lower his tongue. Now, a more fun version of that would be using some food so that you can get elevation. And we already talked about popsicles or suckers, anything to get that gross movement that he has to move his tongue to get. But this one would be a little bit more refined. So you could put something again up behind his upper teeth. So you could do a Cheerio or peanut butter or yogurt or something like that. 
And you can do that to get placement, but let me caution you that sometimes that just turns straight into eating. And so a child misses the whole point in that you want him to get his tongue elevated to get TD or N. But it is a cue that you can use or another strategy you can use for older preschoolers who might understand that a little bit more. Now, another kind of visual cue that you can do very similar to what we did when we did our P's and B's and M's where we were tapping our lip. Here we're going to tap right under our nose because that is where we're, going, we're really signaling to a child to get his tongue tip up and put it right there so that he can get T and D. And of course for N we might do it mm, uh, like we talked about before where we're really tapping or pushing a kid's nose. I, I sometimes do the tap but a lot of times kids because they're elongating that nice in that nasal sound that mm, the continuant property there uh, they like to really push their little noses and I think that's uh, really fun and a lot of kids again will call it their nose sound uh, because of that. One real fun activity to do that I just want to say I don't usually include this in the activities because it just works so well this kind of a strategy is using bingo markers and having kids make the big dots you know usually and they're holding the marker with their little fisted hands because it's bigger and just to say dot 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 that has been such a successful trick for me that i don't even really think about it again as a play activity that we're doing I, I try to get it at the, I do that activity at the very beginning when we're working on T's, D's, and N's because it's worked so well with me. When we come back, I want to show you my favorite play routines and toys to help kids learn to produce correct alveolar sounds. I want to show you my favorite activities to facilitate a T, a D, or an N sound with toddlers. Now these activities have been winners for me and I hope they will be for you. The first thing that we can do is play games. Okay, John, I gotta start over. Okay. I'm sorry. Gosh, I'm getting too tired, honey. Okay, here we go. All right. Now I want to show you my favorite activities for toddlers for working on T, D, and N. Now the first thing that I want to suggest really works on all of these sounds kind of at the same time and that would be talking about or playing games that have to do with body parts. So if you'll think about body parts, your toes, your nose, and your knees. And so you certainly have a T and two N's there. So even singing a song like uh, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees and toes. I like that little song because knees and toes are at the end of that song. And a lot of times if a kid can't get one, he'll kind of get the other. So that's a wonderful uh, little routine for you. Another little social routine that I like to use when I'm working on T's, D's, and N's would be counting toes. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So we can get uh, three productions of tea there with toe, two, and ten. So that's another fun little routine for you to do. You can count anything when you're singing uh, that little th that little song, but I really like doing it again with uh, things that make sense to toddlers. So certainly that's an opportunity to get toe, even if they're not doing the counting with you. Just saying toe, 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 toe is wonderful practice for a child to really master that initial T. Let's move on to talking about D. My very favorite activity for working on an initial D with toddlers is playing Where's Dada. Now, if you have watched my uh, little video about getting bilabials with M, I talked about how to set up the game to find mama, where you put a child 
in a pack and play or in his high chair or in his crib or behind a gate or somewhere we're kind of going to kind of limit his access where he has to stay there and we just call for mama well we can do the same thing for dada uh, let me give you another version of that for an older child it would be to actually play hide and seek so that we have dad hide in various parts of the house and that we call him dada dada dad or whatever uh the child's uh name for daddy you know dad daddy whatever he happens to be again we're calling that as our target word and so again it's fun for dad to pop out and say yes it's dad and make a really big deal about that but make sure that as you're playing hide and seek you're actually having the child call for daddy call for dad call for dad whatever you're using there all right the next uh toy that really really popular with lots of our little friends with uh, speech and language delays are dinosaurs and i love this word dino as our target there because we've got a d and an n and you can do all kinds of things with your dinosaurs a really fun thing to do is to make your dinos fall down so that we can get another target word with that another really functional word that i work on all the time when we're working on d is done and so a child can even sign it as he's saying it and again to give that kind of that visual pop there but saying done is there something that he can practice when he's finished with meals finished with his bath uh, finished with diaper change anything anytime that they can practice that word that would be a wonderful word for families to uh, practice during their daily routines for in my very favorite activity to do to try to get an in is to play the night night game and so how i play night night is that we just pretend to sleep and, and we tell everybody night night as they're going to sleep and so that's our key word there and then we snore <clears throat> pardon me and then we uh, someone wakes up and then it's a, just a really funny surprise for toddlers so a real fun game to play the night night game but again you've got to have the kids say the target word you can't just play it and play it and play it and hope that he's going to get it you know, you've really got to have him say night night at the beginning to start the night night game i forgot d i forgot one d that i want to go back and uh, fill in real quick it's playing with play-doh now you're probably going to want to call it play-doh but when you're working on d with a child just call it dough and again use your keywords with down use your keywords with done to have a child really really uh use those words as he's playing with your activity a lot of times i found that therapists will will start an activity uh, with the right uh, target kind of word but then you get lost in what your goal is going to be and you don't want to use your target so often that you become obnoxious and that you drive the child away from you but at the same time you've got to get your target word practice in there so make yourself even maybe a little cheat sheet so that you can uh know what target words you're going to use with initial d with that toy or with that activity all right the uh, let's go back to n our other n activities i like to read the little no david books now the cardboard version of this they've changed it to o david to be a little more uh probably politically correct and not so punitive with poor david who happens to do all kinds of things that his mom doesn't like but really any kind of mischievous Thing that uh, any little uh, situation that you can set up where we're telling you know David has pulled the toilet paper down and we're saying no 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 you can do this with this book but you can certainly even do it with your dinosaurs you could do something with your play-doh where you're asking the child does he want a uh, red and that you could model no 
any kind of little no game. If there's uh, something that you, and of course you've got to do this teasingly with a little twinkle in your eye so that it doesn't become upsetting to any child, but any little game that you can play where he can refuse something and say no is always a winner for toddlers who are working on that initial end sound. So try those ideas and I hope you have lots and lots of success with these activities for toddlers for getting T, D, and N. The next set of sounds that we're going to talk about are your pharyngeal consonants, or consonants made in your throat or the back of your mouth. So those sounds are K's and G's. Now these sounds are made by elevating the back of your tongue, and children usually master K's and G's between three and three and a half years old. So this is the end of this developmental period that we're talking about for toddlers. So what do we call these throaty sounds? Well, that's what we call them. I kind of jumped the gun on that. So because that's where you're it, the sound is made and we always want to give kids information about how to produce the sound that's what we call them so k is k. sometimes i say it's my quiet throaty sound and then g is my loud throaty sound so again are your big throaty sounds so those might be the names that you use so let's talk about activities to help with placement of your uh, pharyngeal consonants. So again, remember it's made at the back of the mouth. And if you have listened to this course until now, you remember that we talked about Pamela Marshalla and her wonderful techniques of using raspberries made in various parts of the mouth to uh, really make a child aware of placement or where his tongue needs to be or what his tongue needs to do. So for K's and G's, just your or your you know, anything even like gargling, gug, 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 any sound back there that you can have, that you can put in a play routine, it's going to be really novel and a lot of fun for a child to try to get that placement. Another thing that you can do, and this is one, it's kind of politically correct, and if you live in the South like I do, or a more rural state, it might be okay to still pretend like you're shooting with a uh, kind of sound, but that's, that's how I get it a lot. In certain parts of the country or with certain families, you're probably not going to be able to use that, but it's a winner to help a child uh, get that placement or an approximation uh, for a K or a G. Another fun tip that, again, this is that next little level up. If you can't get it with those easier things, we move to things that are a little more difficult. So another thing that, you, that I like to do is to lie down on the floor or lay down on the floor and have a, a child try to produce a K or a G when he's on his back. And this is because when you're in that posture, your tongue naturally falls back into your mouth. And so for kids who front those sounds, so meaning that they use a P or a T for a K or a B or a D for the G sound, the G, they will do it better if you're going to lay back like that. So laying on the floor, lying down on the floor like that is a really... Uh, good way to facilitate placement of that. Another good visual cue is just to point to your throat. Now, older preschoolers may get this a lot better than toddlers. A lot of times if I start doing this, you know, it's your throaty sound, tell me. They do more like this and it looks more like strangulation. <laughs> but you get the point and they do too, that they've got to really make that sound in the very back of their mouth. Now, since a child needs to be able to move his tongue back, straw drinking is a very positive uh, activity for children to do who may not have that tongue retraction. And then the last idea would be that you use a dum-dum sucker or a round lollipop to help achieve that position. So you want to get a kid's tongue up in the back 
while the front stays down. And so using that little sucker to just put it right in there. Now, anytime we use food with toddlers, we're always at risk of it just being an eating activity. And that's okay with me. <laughs> but you have to really understand that if your target here is to help a child correctly get that K and that G, he's got to be able to tolerate you using that sucker in that way in his little mouth and it not be aversive. So for that reason, I don't use that unless I can't get it any other way and unless the child is really, really mature for two or three. Mostly, I wouldn't even do it for a two-year-old because remember we said that these sounds are mastered at three or three and a half. So a child who's older than that, if they can't tolerate that for whatever reason, I'm not going to do it. But I just wanted to give you that idea so that you have that little tool and trick in your toolbox. All right, let's talk about the words that facilitate a K and a G uh, most easily. It would be the letter K or just K right there, that initial K. Okay, so that's there in the medial position in that word. The word key and the word cow. And then for G, our target words would be go, goo, guy, and gong. So when we come back, I'm going to show you my favorite activities for facilitating pharyngeal consonants with toddlers. Now I want to show you my best ideas and activities for working on pharyngeal consonants with toddlers. Now, toys with keys for K are just your number one go-to toy. Key is a wonderful word, and we already talked about the facilitative context there for kids to get that K. And you can practice lots with the doors, and it's just hard enough to keep a kid with you. So they're gonna have to focus on getting the key, matching it. Usually, these toys usually uh, involve color matching, so they match the color for the key to the door, and then to insert the key in. And remember, because you're targeting this word, don't miss opportunities without being overbearing <laughs> within an activity to get your target word. So you may have to do things like say, what do you need? And the kid needs to respond with what? Key. What should I give you? The key. What's going to open the door? The key. You know, any question you have to ask to get that target word. So be sure that you're having him request or say the word so that you can actually be sure that he's producing that word correctly uh, within the activity. Another good initial word would be to play with all kinds of cows. Now, when I do this, I usually have a barn with a gate so that we can kind of contrast the k with the gut. And remember, we talked about before that uh, lots of times when we work on one sound in the word class, other sounds are going to come in. So your matched consonant, you work with K, unless a child is having voicing problems to differentiate between K and G, you can almost always get a, a, a K and a G at the same time, even within the same uh, activity. And that's what we should be trying to do is be as most efficient as we can. If that doesn't work, then we pull it back and kind of work on one sound at a time. But cow is a wonderful word. Now, another reason that I like working on cow when I'm working on initial K is because then we can say moo with the cow and then we can contrast sounds made at the front of our mouth with sounds made at the back of our mouth. And so it's a really good Again, opportunity for children who are mature enough to do that. Now, if you have a child who you're working with, uh, you're playing with your cows and you're working on this and they start to say cow and then goo for moo, 
you know you've kind of gone too far. So with some kids, you can do the switching. Some kids, you have to just keep one target at a time. But again, it's so much more efficient when we can work on lots of these sounds uh, at the same time. All right, so G, words for G. Go is your very best target word. You can do it with games, with Ready, Set, Go. I like to do it with uh, the little social routines that we talked about before. Well, I think we were talking about signing or saying more um, with your initial M. You can do the same thing with go with a social game. So let's say that you want to throw the child up in the air, that he really likes that. So you are going to model ready, set, go. And he has to imitate or initiate uh, saying go with that before you're going to throw him up in the air. Again, you're giving him that reason to include your target sound. Another wonderful activity to do with the word go is any kind of racetrack. I love this little Toy Story racetrack. They probably had, gosh, four or five different versions since I started my career. But this is a great one because usually the cars go faster. And you can finish this pretty quickly and get another turn in. You know, again, you you have the cars, you put them in the correct slots, and you have the child as you are modeling, and you are starting the routine. Ready, set, and they have to say go. Uh, you can bump it up a little, a little, uh, make it a little more difficult where they have to say correctly say go, whether they are omitting the sound or whether they are substituting. Uh, a G for a G or whatever sound they use for their G, you really have to uh, say, no, 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 you got it. Let's say it correctly. And don't say no. Don't do what I just did then. Just say, oh, let's say it. Let's say it better. Let's say it better. Let's do it this way. And really cue your throaty sound there so that you are having the child uh, imitate that and produce that sound correctly. Any toy that you can do with the ramp, even if you just have a set of Hot Wheels or Matchbox cars where you make some kind of ramp. I've done it with a book or the back of a wooden puzzle where I've just set it up and let the cars roll down. And again, we're practicing go with that. You could do truck with the k at the end in the final position or certainly car, although that word is a little harder for a lot of toddlers to get because of the R there. But that's certainly another winner when you're working on pharyngeal consonant sounds. Uh, another thing that I like to do is play with army guys. I got this little bag of army guys today at uh, the Dollar Tree. A great one for some kids uh, to practice with. And really, if parents are going to be opposed to uh, war toys, just taking any little obviously male figures when you're playing and saying, you know, here's my guy, where's your guy, what will your guy do, your guy can go, my guy can go too, and so again, think about how many of those wonderful target words you can meld into one activity. Uh, the last activity that I like to talk about here with uh, pharyngeal consonants really would be snacks. So uh, the word cookie is a wonderful target word and cracker because you've got the k in the beginning and the middle. So those are often uh, wonderful targets and wonderful ways to work in that pharyngeal k practice, especially for kids who lose interest with toys. They may stay in there a little while longer with you with uh, food. You can use the keyword or target word candy as well, but you know that's a tricky one because you've got k 
at the beginning and then you've got that D in the middle. And so for some kids, if they are using a D for a G or a T for a K, you know, they're going to automatically want to substitute that in that middle position in the word. So be careful when you're choosing your target words. It may seem like it's just going to be a really simple uh, kind of target to use, but sometimes we mess it up and we make it harder for kids than it should be. So stick with the target words that we talked about earlier, and I think you'll have a lot more success. Now we're ready to talk about our last consonant sound, which is an H. Now, it's also made at the back of the throat, but it's a glottal sound, so that's why we're going to include it here. And it is an early developing consonant sound, usually mastered between two and three. So that's why we're going to talk about this H. Now, let's talk about a name for your H sound. I like to call it the breathy sound, but if I've had a child who pants, who can do a H, I'll sometimes call it a doggy sound. So that's uh, just a little cue for you there with what's worked for me. Uh, let's talk about what to do if a kid can't imitate an H sound. What are some strategies you can try to try to facilitate that H? The thing I like to do is really showing a child that he can blow his breath. So either on my hand and have him feel it, and then you can really quickly now move it to a word. We talked about not letting sounds stay in isolation too long. So you could do your and then you could say hi or hey or hello, anything like that where you're really going to, again, uh, the quality that you're trying to get or what you're trying to have the kid really notice is that he's blowing or he's exhaling on your hand. If he needs a bigger visual cue for that, have him do it on a window or on a mirror so that he can see his breath fog the glass and that's usually what kids are doing is that they are omitting that sound so they are not using the uh, to uh, again this is this would just be a sound that's really only in the initial positions in words and so they're just not initiating that so you really want to give them the idea that that breath control idea that that exhalation there now if a kid can't do that I've already alluded to Panting is kind of really, before I do these other things, panting like a dog is the number one thing I do. So, uh, and just to get that movement, just to give the child the idea that he has to produce the his breath in that way. And then you are, uh, again, you can try ha, 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 or ha, 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 he, he, he. But again, be sure that the child is doing the with that vowel and not uh, just using the vowel there uh, by itself. The last thing uh, that you might try to do with this uh, is blow cotton balls across the table and do it with your breath. But again, you don't want to get a kid so focused on blowing that you don't have him understand that, that you want him to do that in a word. So that you've got to get it, move it quickly from that little play activity you're doing to the sound with and quickly, quickly get that into words so it's more functional for that child. Don't get so caught up in these fun activities that you forget what you're doing. You're trying to help a child get placement so that he or get production in a way so that he can uh, translate that to produce the sound correctly and then get that sound correctly in words. All right, so let me give you your keywords here. So he, 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 like a laugh, ha, 
ho ho and i always use that for santa so during the holidays is a wonderful time to work on uh, h's with kids and then we've already talked about the hay and the high all right when we come back we're going to finish up with activities that work for toddlers to teach them initial h let's take a look at my favorite activities to teach the or the H sound to toddlers. Now these are the activities that I go to first when we're trying to teach this consonant sound. The first thing that I try to do for an H is get a pant. And if you listen to the full course or you've watched that, you'll know that we talked about we just want to get that the child to have that idea that he's exhaling or or producing that sound. And so panting with the dog is a good way to do that. So I like to play with puppy toys or doggy toys and I like this little one because his tongue is out and he's modeling that. You're going to want to get a kid to pull his tongue back and use it uh, more in the context of uh, a word like hi or hey or hello or he he ha ha or ho ho but at the same time sometimes kids need that exaggerated uh, example at the beginning with their little tongues out to get that they're supposed to exhale on that sound other wonderful activities that I like to do for initial H are just high activities so we're just waving hi at everything and everybody so that's another fun routine that parents can build into their everyday activities with their children. Working on an initial H around the holidays is wonderful with Santa toys. So having Santa say, ho, ho, ho. And that's such a good little trick for toddlers to be able to show off for their parents and other family members when they've been nonverbal or minimally verbal. So ho, ho can even be a name for Santa. So think about that uh, around the holidays when you're working with a child who needs an initial H. Other kinds of toys that I like to play with, and again, this target with the words hole and hammer actually would come a little later. Those words don't have quite um, as tight of a facilitative context so that the child has the vowel made in the same place of the mouth as the consonant, but they're good words to use for toddlers. And I like these kinds of toys, this ball and hammer toy, and our target words here, again, are gonna be hole and hammer. Our other toy that works really well here for H would be house toys. And again, sometimes the word house can be a little difficult for a toddler, but certainly practicing the words that we talked about with hey and hi and hello and those greeting words. You can do that by putting people inside your house and then either open the door with the key or just have the doors ready to open and so that you're waving and greeting and using those greeting words. The last H activity is one that I'm sure that you've probably already thought about and that would be using potato heads. And again, not quite the best facilitative context, but a really fun activity for toddlers and one that you can use after your H has been established. And you can see how many H words you can practice with potato heads. You've got head, hat, hand, he's saying hi or hello. We can make the potato head hop and we can also have him hide. So those are wonderful activities that you can do with toddlers to facilitate an initial H. 
So that's it. We have talked about all the developmentally appropriate consonant sounds for toddlers. Sounds made at the front of your mouth, the bilabials, P, B, M, and then we added the gliding sound, W. We did our alveolar sounds in the middle of our mouth with T, D, and N. We did our pharyngeal consonants in the backs of our mouths with K and G, and then we added H. And those are the developmentally appropriate sounds for toddlers for consonants. So I hope that you learned some new tricks and tips and some new activities to use as you work with toddlers in increasing their speech intelligibility. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It really, really helps us out. And I want to finish with pointing you to the therapy manual where all this information plus more is from. It's Functional Phonology, a language-based approach for treating speech intelligibility problems in very young children. And you can find that exclusively on my website at Teach Me to Talk. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and you have just participated in Teach Me to Talk's podcast. Have a great week.